Alright guys, just in case you didn't hear that, that's Esther chapter 2. Later, when the anger of King Xerxes had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what she had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful girls into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then, let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was a citadel of Susa, a Jew. There was a, now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the king of the son of Kish, who had been carried into their exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive was Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Hegai, who had charge of the harem. The girl pleased him and won his favour. Immediately he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked to and fro near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a girl's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six, uh, six with perfume and cosmetics. And this is how she was going to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. When the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle, Abihel, to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Hegai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than, more than to any of the other women, and she won his favour and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do so. For she continued to follow, follow Mordecai's instructions, as she had done when he was bringing her up. 
Yeah. Um, don't worry about those guys with the long names. Most of them we don't hear from again. Uh, hi, my name is Christian, for those of you that haven't met, met uh, me before. And uh, this is part three in our series, looking at this very curious book in the Old Testament, the old part of the Bible. Uh, a book that never mentions God. Um, a book in which nobody reads the scripture or prays. Nobody talks about following God. All the references to uh, religion are very vague and very distant. And yet, this book has been included in the Bible for great purpose, and I think for relevance even to us today. Uh, last week, um, uh, Jennifer was here, and she looked at this same chapter from the perspective of uh, Mordecai, who was Esther's guardian cousin, and the mentoring and affirming relationship that they had, how he encouraged and supported her in uh, stepping forward and the things that she had to do and, and what that leads to as we discover in further chapters. And uh, two weeks ago, we looked at chapter one and the opening scenes of this story, and we looked at King Azarias, also known as King Xerxes, um, and his kingdom in which this story is set. King Xerxes was the playboy king. He had inherited the greatest Persian kingdom that ever was from his father Darius, but he hadn't built it. He merely inherited it. And even just, just a, uh, a few months into his reign as king, he starts throwing parties. He throws a, a six-month party for all the important people and all the military officials and everybody who's important, a big party for them. And then he throws a seven-day, 24-7 party for everyone in the city where there's food for everyone, where uh, the, the extravagance of the palace is showed off to all and where the alcohol flows liberally. One of the translators of the Bible translates one of the descriptions of the waiter's actions in chapter 1 saying this, there was a waiter at everybody's elbow and the king had commanded that every glass should be re refilled with liberality. This was a drunken 24-7 party. And at the final day of that party, we're told the king was in high spirits. There's an understatement. And uh, with the wisdom of his male counsellors, who had also been supporting him in his drink fest, uh, he had come up with this idea that his wife, Queen Vashti, should appear before them. The wording's hard to translate, but it probably means this, wearing nothing but her crown. This... This was 500 BC pornography. This is a guy saying, guys, do you want to see something really hot? I'll tell you what, I'll get my wife in. You have never seen a girl like this. Woo! And he summons his wife. Shockingly, she refuses to come out and be displayed before the boys. I wonder why. And for that, their collective drunken wisdom is, well, we need to find another queen because she's obviously rubbish will have to have some kind of search and selection for another queen. If, if the story of Esther was told as a pantomime, then uh, King Xerxes would be the fool. He would be the guy that when he comes on, he'd be wearing misfitting, badly coordinated clothes. He would have some silly, light-hearted song played every time he came on the stage because he was a man of immense power and position, yet he was incredibly foolish and unwise. He was 
He was a lad, a lad out of control. So as we go into chapter 2 and the story that Tom uh, read for us, we find that a little bit of time has elapsed from these parties and the king is reflecting upon the decisions that have taken place. It's worth pausing right there, isn't it? Everybody here has made at some point a foolish decision. Might have been a small one, might have been a big decision. Everybody here has said something that they've later come to regret. Everybody here has had something happen and then on sober reflection you have thought, I wish I could have handled that in a better way. The king, even at this moment, has the possibility to show the wisdom of hubris. He has the possibility to, instead of being arrogant, to be humble and actually to fix a situation, make it better, perhaps even to make it better than it was before he messed up. It can be often hard to do that in life. I can't say that I get this right all the time, but I am surprised by how powerful humble and honest admission of faults can be in fixing broken situations and putting right things. I mean, I, I, I look at this guy, and I'm not like him, but I, I see magnified some of the airs of my own faults in that. I see sometimes how I do foolish things. And actually, I've kind of learned that it is possible to go back to somebody and say, could I just say that I really regret what I said to you the other day? Or can I just apologise for the impression I might have given you? Or even just to say, do you know what? I was absolutely, completely wrong in that situation, and I think I acted really badly. Or whatever it might have been. That type of response actually has incredible power to do good, because it's, it's probably wise. Even in this situation, the king isn't wise, and he decides we're going to find a new queen. He's been egged on by his mates. We need to find another queen, somebody who will do everything that the king wants. And so he sends out a decree that through the whole of this kingdom, there will be the ultimate search for a new girl to be the princess to the king. And this is a, a, a massive kingdom. It's the biggest Persian empire that ever was. Um, it covers many, many cities. It covers millions of people. Uh, great things are, are on offer for this queen. So the edicts are written out and, and it's distributed to every city by messenger that the queen is looking for a new wife. And um, as we've heard in the um, uh, reading, uh, all sorts of things happen to Esther as she enters into this world of being selected to be the queen. She gets all sorts of things. She gets, uh, um, she gets match made with the king. Uh, there's, she gets all the power that goes with uh, being the queen. She gets all these new clothes. She gets pampering, etc. Now, I wondered if you could help me at this point, because as I thought about it, I, the more I thought about it, I thought, do you know what? There is so much of that happening in media at the moment. There is so much along that lines in the media. So I'm going to get you to shout out and we'll just see if we can... Oops, where are we? And I want to pick out the names of television shows that are either to do with pampering, like extreme pampering, um, or dating, right, or beauty. 
Okay, so I want you just to tell me what it is, okay, and then just um, for the sake of those that may not have identified it, you need to tell us what it is, okay, keep it clean, all right. So let's hear what some of them are. So I'll start you off with one, um, Miss World, okay, Miss World, these uh, women are selected to be the most beautiful in the world, and for that they have to parade in their swimsuits and declare their commitment to world peace and uh, whatever it might be. So Miss World is a program apparently about beauty. So let's have some others. Take me out. What was that? Take me out. Take me out. Okay, what happens? Um, there's a big panel of women yeah. one man in the centre. Okay. Take me out. One guy, lots of women, lots of questions. Lights go on and off, and then at the end he gets to pick one to take on a date to see if he likes it. Okay, let's have another one. Girlfriends. Okay, what's that? Um, about three girls live in a house and they get, they meet a hundred guys and then they pick six out of those and then they pick four to come and stay with them for a day. Okay, girlfriends, girls living in a house, the hundred guys and then they pick six and then they uh, end up with a date. Let's have some more. Bachelor. Bachelor. Okay, <laughs> tell us about it, mate. Okay, bachelor, calves watch them all. Okay, <laughs> let's have some others. Baggage. What? Baggage. Baggage. What's that? You either have one single man or a single woman, and then the members of the opposite sex, so they do twice around. And so you have a single man and then three single women, and the three single women come out with suitcases, and in each suitcase is a, a secret about themselves, and each time the secret gets bigger, and at the end they have to decide if they'll go out with that. Okay, baggage and shocking secrets are revealed. Let's have some more. Beauty and the geek. Beauty and the geek. How does that work? But clever. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's good. Oh, I understand quantum physics. Okay. <laughs> Some of it. Yeah, go on. Snob, marry, avoid. Snob, marry, avoid. How does that work? Um, there's, there's like a load of women that are like, dressed really superficially wearing loads of makeup or like, they're really close with them. They go on and then they strip them down and give them a makeover and then they ask men whether they would snob, marry, or avoid them. Okay. Right. Let's have two more. Dating in the dark. Dating in the dark. How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you pick somebody before you see them. And it was what? Brilliant. Okay. Right, last one. How to look good naked. Okay, how does that work? <laughs> oh, that's a tweet. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. Uh, in, in a yeah, clothing sense of the word. Um, yeah. Um, and then he puts pictures of him naked in the mouth. I just can't let So uh, it's a kind of makeover, make yourself look better kind of show. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I'm sure we could have kept going. And I think that illustrates the whole thing that actually there is our society as, is as obsessed with this stuff as the characters portrayed to us in, uh, in this story. And in fact, as I thought about it, I thought the whole search for Esther was kind of like the X factor of the day. People were sent, the king's representatives were sent to every city to assess and to judge who might be worthy to be the main attraction for the king. The problem was, of course, that it was really about sex. That it was about a girl, a young girl, getting a sexual audition with the king and the one that he liked best might become his future queen. And in fact, Rob was saying to me before the meeting, if, if the story of Esther was told today, then actually Esther would be classed as a sex slave. And King Xerxes would be put on the child protection register if this was how the story played out today. Well, Esther, of course, was uh, a Jewish girl. And uh, the commenters, we don't know exactly how old she was, but we reckon she may have been 14. She may have been even younger. The reference to being a young girl and the likely age of marrying, she, she may have been under 14. She may have been what we would consider a very young and innocent girl. Uh, we're told in verse 7 that she was both beautiful in form and lovely to look at. So even the same obsession we've identified within our society, within media, of judging and assessing and looking at the appearance of people and ranking and rating and saying, you know, you look like a right minger, but, you know, if we can just get the right clothes and some super pants on you, you'll look absolutely <laughs> gorgeous and then your life will be all fixed and all your problems will go away because it's, it's about those things. The same issues are being uh, um, unplayed within this story as well. And Esther, of course, was not alone. Uh, we're told that the king held these auditions for four years. So we reckon that there are at least 400 girls, and it may have even been up to 1,400 girls who were involved in this whole situation. Well, I think the, the story of Esther raises all sorts of issues, many of which are very, very true in issues in our society today. The first, I guess, is the whole attraction of the apparent celebrity culture. There are so many television programmes that are about translating somebody who feels absolutely ordinary into a national celebrity overnight. In fact, if you watch a programme like, I do watch X Factor, if you watch X Factor, you, you can see how they set up the auditions and the bit beforehand and the bit after. They, the, the, the kind of the perfect scenario that they find is somebody that says, you know, I work in, um, I think, what was it, Paul Potts who said, I work in Carphone Warehouse. Hi, Tash. Works in Carphone Warehouse. He said, I work in Carphone Warehouse. And he comes on and he's got this amazing operatic voice. It's absolutely incredible. And the judges go, that's amazing. Yesterday you worked in Carphone Warehouse and tomorrow you will be a national celebrity. 
And there's something of an addiction to that idea of finding celebrity fame overnight. It raises the issue of child protection, that if, if King uh, Xerxes was around today in society, then he would in effect end up on a child protection um, register. He would fail his CRB check in terms of his lifestyle. His lifestyle reflects something that's not okay. Um, it highlights the issues of bullying. How did Esther and these girls end up within the king's palace for his search for a new queen? Uh, and, and a lot of it revolves around the fact that he was the man who had the power. And these were people who had little power and little rights. And so through his exertion of power, that's how this happened. In effect, they were not given freedom. They were bullied into it. There's issues of, of, of grooming, and we read about the guy, the, the uh, king's representative, Haggai, who's the keeper of the royal harem. He's, he's kind of like the grubby guy with sweets saying, little girl, do you want to get into my car? That's the kind of guy he is. He's out on behalf of the king, picking up suitable-looking young girls that the, that the king might take a fancy to, bring them back to the palace so that the king can do whatever he wants to do. It raises the issues of rape, uh, which is often a very hidden crime, a very embarrassing thing for people to say has happened, or um, very hard often to support somebody who's been through that, something that can be easily ignored and is often in the media very under-reported. It's not often highlighted in the news. It's under-reported and so very unaware of that happening. And of course it highlights the issue of prostitution. I'm not suggesting necessarily that that's how Esther saw it, but the scenario was that she was given gifts and rewards and treats in return for her sexual involvement with the king. Now again, this is, this is entirely where our society is at. I took two quick glances at the news this week just to see what might be in the news, what might be on the front page of a news website that in any way connected with this. And it wasn't hard to find stories. The first one I came across, and probably you're aware of it, is the whole story of Jimmy Savile. And it feels like almost every day, new and fresh allegations have come forward. Of course, the man has died, and so it will never be completely possible to, to get to a point of justice and truth, because it can only be a one-sided revealing of what people have said. But um, I think as I last saw it, the police said they were inquiring about 120 separate alleged offences. I was very struck by one story I heard on the uh, radio on Wednesday. I was, I was driving in the car in the morning, and it was a, of a lady who said about 30 years ago she was a young girl in a hospital. She was in a wheelchair, and she described what could almost be a flippant um, encounter where she said Jimmy Savile came in to the room and he didn't talk to her, he shut the door and then he just kind of, she described it as a violent kiss and she described what that involved but in effect it was a violent kiss and in, in hearing that it could almost sound trivial but then the rest of the interview went on to say how for the last 30 years that incident has messed up much of her life, how degraded she'd felt through that and how the, what the knock-on effects of that had been in her life. Um, here was another story I saw um, on a website of uh, a young 15-year-old girl called uh, Amanda. And two years ago, she was involved, um, she was online, and she um, uh, um, ended up 
um, being asked to show pictures of herself using her webcam. And then at the end of it, the guy said, well, we just need two final shots, one where you have to lift your top up, and, and the other way you have to lift your skirt up. And so she was just a young girl, and she just thought she was kind of auditioning to be a model. She thought celebrity fame was going to come her way through this because she'd met some nice guy who was going to help her. And then she discovers in the, in the following weeks that these pictures are being distributed on uh, Facebook, and her friends are starting to see them and print them out, and they're appearing around at school, and then she moves to another school and they um, followed her. And then there was a, a horrible situation involved um, where they were left outside her house and at school, and she was so upset she went home from school and she, she drank bleach and was in, obviously incredibly ill from that. And even that was kind of a cry for help and there was some counselling and the family moved again and it, and it was like these pictures followed her and uh, they still showed up at her next school. And then this... This story finished with the fact that this Wednesday, she was found dead. She took her own life. It, it highlights the horror that lies behind some of, some of this stuff. And we can be deceived into thinking that maybe it's a bit like the story in Pretty Woman, where it's kind of, it's kind of a, a rags-to-romance-to-princess sort of story. But the reality is, for thousands and thousands and thousands of people, this type of horrible encounter actually leads to a broken and a damaged life. One of the things I love about the story of Esther is that she is portrayed to us as a heroine who is not in any way perfect. In fact, a lot is not said about her and we can not necessarily surmise either way things about her. We, we don't have a sense of her moral fibre. Um, it feels a little bit like she is drawn along with the events and the circumstances around her simply push her along in the direction she goes. We don't know anything about her spiritual life or her spiritual convictions. I guess we possibly know some, some of the things about the weaknesses of who she was as, as the heroine of this story. In a way, she, she agrees to this selection. Now, we don't know if she had any freedom or opportunity to go another way. Could she have run away? Could Mordecai, her guardian, have somehow hidden her or concealed her? We don't know that, but that didn't happen. We know that when she's given the food in the royal palace, um, and not, not a Jewish palace, a Persian palace, so there would have been certain foods that she certainly wouldn't have eaten as an Orthodox Jew... Um, but we have no suggestion that she um, uh, doesn't participate in that. And so she's not kind of standing up necessarily for her faith belief. She's going along with the flow. Um, there's no suggestion that she, um, like Daniel or the stories of, of the, uh, the three guys who stand up and say we need to worship our God. There's no suggestion that she, she pushes herself forward in that way. As the story unfolds, it's as if she, she grows in her conviction and her sense of who she is in God and actually what God is doing through her life. But the incredible thing is actually she, we see her as an, an utterly normal and a very imperfect heroine of the story. So she accepts her free food, which would have been a very big gift in a subsistence society, and her beauty treatments because she's worth it, her apartments, her seven maids, her servants, her celebrity status, 
and the affirmations that would have gone with that, that she's going to be a princess. I guess God wanted to say to her that actually you are a princess, you are beautiful, and you are amazing, but there's something about these circumstances that are trying to lift her up into a higher place. And one of the most powerful things for me about the book of Esther is it tells me that God is in the business of using imperfect people. People like me who often get it wrong and often I make bad choices. I'm often as not as wise as I could be. I identify with, we did a few months ago, a series on Jonah who ran away from God when he heard what God wanted him to do. Of any biblical character, I identify with Jonah. And yet as I read this book, I see that our wonderful God is using people who are just willing to go with him a little way. Now, we're going to chat at our tables and we've got a few minutes before we end. And I want to ask you the question, who do you identify with? There are, there are some key characters in this play and we can identify with them in all sorts of ways. You might identify with an aspect of their life. It's not like you're saying, I am that person. You're, you're just saying, there's a bit of me that identifies with how that person is um, portrayed to me in this story. Or you may identify with them negatively in that you think, actually, that's, that's the opposite of what I, what I want to be. And actually, as I look at that person, it really helps me to see that I really don't want to be like that. Or we might identify with somebody aspirationally. We might say, actually, I really, I really admire that person and the traits that I see in them, and I want to be like them. And I'll just give you, I'll leave these on the screen so we can chat. Uh, maybe you identify with uh, King Xerxes. Um, He's a bloke that drank too much. When he drank too much, he was foolish. He was a guy who didn't necessarily understand his responsibilities. He wanted to have fun. Maybe there's something in all of us that wants to be a bit like that. Maybe, we, maybe you're someone who knows, actually, I'm someone that needs to moderate my alcohol because if I, if I have too much of that, then I behave like this guy. Maybe you identify with Vashti, who was the, the queen, and she, she took her stand for what was right, and actually she lost a lot because of that. Maybe you identify with that, or maybe you aspire to her leadership, and you see her as a leader in this story. Um, King uh, Haman, he comes uh, uh, in the next chapter, but he's, he's a kind of legalistic guy, and he's interested in the rules, and he has great power, but he kind of forgets to use his power to help people. He wants to use his power to, give his, to make his own life um, better. Mordecai, who was Esther's um, cousin and guardian, and as we heard last week, was something of a mentor and an encourager and a supporter and an affirmer to Esther. He, he behind the scenes, put, invested his life in her so that Esther could actually step forward and ultimately do some incredible things. Or maybe you identify with Esther, uh, a very imperfect person who was used by God for great things. So let's chat at our tables. We've got two or three minutes, so maybe you want to find two or three people um, next to you and uh, you want to chat about who do you identify with from this story and why.